hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. Beware, spoiler phobes. You have stumbled upon a storm of spoilers, a podcast about HBO's Game of Thrones series in conjunction with the Song of Ice and Fire books by George R.R. R. Martin. This discussion can expand to include any Game of Thrones relevant books, shows, internet extras, special features, teases, trailers, interviews, rumors, guesses, theories, and general crackpotitude. We're not ruining, we're enriching. After all, chaos isn't a pit, it's a ladder. You do not wish to be spoiled or are not caught up. Please stop now. The realm. Do you know what the realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Hello, and welcome to A Storm of Spoilers. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and I haven't read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, but this week I did read Helter Skelter for the first time, completely oblivious to the fact that its author also died last week. It was an interesting week for me in terms of my relationship with death. Okay, that's dark. My name is Joanna Robinson. I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire. And this week I read the comic Nimona, which has dragons and is wonderful and amazing. And you guys should check it out. And I'm Neil Miller, and I have read all the books. For the, the watch! Books. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've read all the books in uh, George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, and I uh, look forward to reading The Winds of Winter in the offseason, because that's totally happening, guys. Right yeah. it's, already, it's already written. It's already completed. Yeah, I mean, it's totally done. I called George. He's like, oh, yeah, no, it's done. You were right. Well, I mean, they, they said it's not coming out 2015. I really do agree with you. So, like, belief. January 2016? Yeah, January, February even. They could push it to March. Yep. This, this episode out. confirms that for me. It's like, oh, really? You're going to end everything right where the books ended? Yeah, okay. There's a great, I, I can, mean, like, you you wrote a great post about it on Film School Rejects about how you wanted the show to spoil the books and it, and it didn't. So you guys should go read that on filmschoolrejects.com. There's also yes. a, a pretty comprehensive breakdown on Reddit. Someone went through every single storyline and talked about, like, how the show manipulated it so that George could have first crack at all, you know telling us what happens next basically except for the Celise burning because the show really didn't want to expend any more of its social currency uh, yes yeah, shireen, shireen stannis and Celise are the only exception to this list breakdown so it was pretty interesting um and i have a real life crackpot theory oh that i'm going hmm, to nice. kick off this episode with before we get into plot um obviously we're going to talk a lot about Jon snow and how he's totally definitely still alive but my theory is not only are like the showrunners lying and Kit Harrington is lying or at least speaking very carefully so that they're not technically lying, uh, whatever it is. But I also believe Entertainment Weekly is in on this. I 100% oh, yeah. believe that James Hibbard of Entertainment Weekly and their whole staff, they got 
crazy access this season. Like, I know it was off of their cover story, but Vanity Fair did a cover story with Game of Thrones last year. We did not get the insane access that Entertainment Weekly did. And so I'm like, what was the price? Like, why did Entertainment Weekly oh my God, get access so good. to everything? And I'm like, okay, they made a deal with Entertainment Weekly. They're like, all right, we will give you everything you want. So you, James Hibbert of Entertainment Weekly, can post five freaking breakouts after every single episode if you are complicit in this big lie we're going to spin as soon as the scene is over. So that's my I have something referral. to add to this. I'm, I'm ready. Um, so I've worked in the, the entertainment journalism, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, blogging biz for a while. And I can tell you that... Um, you know, sometimes you visit sets of movies or TV shows. Right. And the temptation is always there to be nice out of appreciation. And it takes a lot of fortitude to, to then criticize a movie later or something like that. Uh, after, you know, they fly you out to the set and they're, you know, feed you and do all kinds of cool stuff. And, you're totally right about the Entertainment Weekly guy because didn't he spend like ten days flying around Europe? Oh to yeah, all the he was in. Sets? Yeah, so like he went to so all the locations. He, I'm not yeah. gonna say because so the world of TV recapping is tough because it's literally recapping. There's not a ton of criticism that goes into some of that stuff, um, unless you know you're one of us, obviously. Um, <laughs> so I just feel like his silence was bought and paid for so easily. Um, so I like this theory. I think yeah. this is spot on because you know what? I think of myself as an ethical person, but if they flew me around to every set of Game of Thrones and spent 10 days whining and dining me, and then they were like, hey, we need you to be part of this big lie where we fool everybody, I'd be in. I'd be in for free. I mean, yeah, I was about yeah. to say, like, I'm not really knocking James Hibbert in this, and, and I feel a little bad that I'm name-checking him because he does great work, so I, I'm not trying to, like, throw him under the bus or anything. I would, I agree. I would be, com- if they asked me to be complicit in a lie, I'd be so privileged just to be asked that, yeah, they don't have to fly me to Spain or Croatia or anything like that. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm in. Let's fool everyone. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm going to write some lie about how Kit Harrington chopped off his hair when he didn't really. Like, I will write it. So, yeah, anyway. The good news is we're outside the that particular circle, so we get to do Kit Harrington Hair Watch 2015. Yeah. I've got a man in Belfast. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, I was wondering if you were going to bring this up. <laughs> I've got a man in Belfast who has eyes on the ground. I mean, there's already been a Reddit post about this. I'm sorry. We will talk about the ev- episode eventually, but we might well already- just, uh, just keep on this Jon Snow thing. Maybe we'll go in reverse. <laughs> There's already been a post on Reddit of someone who purports to have snapped a photo of him in Belfast where Kit Harrington said, please don't take a photo of me. Uh, so, of course, this guy did. And then we're all talking about it. But he's like, please don't take a photo of me because nobody's supposed to know I'm here. And I believe that Reddit post went up before the finale went up. So, you know, that crackpot theory is that Kit Harrington is already filming or has already filmed much of his next season stuff. So when everyone else is filming, he won't, you know, he'll be out having lattes somewhere else and have plausible deniability. Like, what do you mean? Of course I'm not in next season. Why would I be having this latte in New York if I were working on Game of Thrones? Because he's already mm-hmm. filmed his scene. Oh, that's... Well, okay. Okay. You, well, I know you know way more about t- TV production than I do, but... Well, that know. would just mean a lot of the season without Jon Snow. It could. They or only a have lot- a few weeks before, or like a month, month and a half before they start production. On, on season six, yeah, but how long? Has I mean, it would make sense. Filming, you know, it it would also make sense that if he's 
if he's coming back for the filming, uh, that he's already there doing stunt training a couple months early. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it could all blow up here in a couple months when they start filming and it's just like, oh, yeah, okay, Jon Snow still in the season. Nothing you can do about it. I mean... Yeah, well, no, the, I just know. don't know why they would even try to lie, knowing how much of their stuff gets leaked out on the internet. Like this right. is the leakiest season. You it know? feels like the weirdest. I think we talked about this last week. It feels like a weird cliffhanger to end on because everybody kind of knows, or everybody will know by the time next season rolls around, at the very least. So I don't understand, unless the craziest of all theories. Unless he's actually dead. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that yet. Um, or <laughs> the even more crackpotty theory that he will come back in season seven. Yeah, that's a that's another um, yeah because one of the things Kit Harrington said is I'm not back next season, right? Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, if he's not back until so season you're saying seven, there's a chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will cling to whatever, and I mean this makes me feel like the whole Lady Stoneheart thing is a zig. You know, we're like. We sound even crazier. We sound even more tinfoil because they're like, yeah, yeah, you've been saying this for years about Lady Stoneheart. I'm like, no, but this time. There was a lot of repeated, you know, like dead is dead, which is what yeah. they kept saying about Catelyn. And then uh, references to Ned, which it's like, you don't need to remind us that, you know, people stay dead on your show occasionally. It's like it's, there usually aren't resurrections. It seemed like they were hitting it really, really hard. Right. But, yeah. Um, Contextually, the, was- <laughs> the entire show is building up to a resurrection. It just seems weird to me that they would be find a way to not do it. Yeah, and even if George were like subverting it, or or like even if there's like oh, here's another crackpot real life crackpot theory. George R. R. Martin is so mad that everyone figured out what his like prophecies were about that he decided to change them, which is like you know the lost the TV show lost like approach kind of. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Real just dick to be like, move, George. Yeah, just to be like, oh, you thought you knew, but you didn't. But I mean, the whole stuff about how Weiss and Benioff got the show because they knew who Jon Snow's parents were, like that that was their test. So then like for Jon Snow's parents to be important, but Jon Snow not to be important is crazy. The fact that George R. R. Martin's original outline says who makes it to the end, which is mm-hmm. Tyrion, Arya, Jon, I want to say... Well, Bran, I forget who the fifth person. Oh, and Daenerys. Like, that's it. Those are the five. He's always called them, those are his children. Yeah, those are the five that make it. So, like, just what they've succeeded in doing with their, what Neil called parade of lies, Mm -hmm. is knock me down from 100% sure to 98% sure. That's all they've done. But I'm still 98% sure Jon Snow is coming back. So, it seems like too big of a character. And the thing is, if you keep Jon Snow out for an entire season, uh, there's no one except maybe Sam discovering something in Old Town that would be able to provide us with the, his lineage. So then season seven becomes the season of secret Targaryens, and that's just a minefield of reveals to work through. It just yeah. seems like, I don't know, all the buildup from like John always comes back to revers- revisiting his parentage um, or revisiting the, the myth of his parentage in this universe this season seems to be building somewhere but then again i thought needle was building for use but uh, apparently it's just there to be used later on by a hopefully regained sight aria i'm jumping around let's start at the beginning <laughs> wait 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 one, one more thing one more okay, thing before okay. we go which is that 
I mean, we do need to acknowledge, though, uh, I mean, just as you basically alluded to, that one of George R. R. Martin's favorite things and, and then the show maliciously seeming their favorite thing is subverting your expectations, building something up and pulling the rug out. So they love doing this shit. Of course they do. But I still I'm still not even percent sure that Jon Snow is coming back. So fuck yeah. you guys. Yeah. Not you. Not you. <laughs> everyone who's lying. Fuck everyone who's lying. Not you guys. Oh, well, see, here's the thing, though. I will be totally forgiving if two years from now we're all, like, quoted in a book for being idiots about the biggest PR stunt ever pulled on, you know, a television audience. Basically, like, if Star Trek Into Darkness worked and J.J. Abrams was able to keep the secret and the movie was good. Like, you know, like that level thing being pulled off, it would be this is amazing. bigger than Khan, though, because only like Star Trek nerds care about Khan, right? Right. Because you've got the new generation of people watching Star Trek who don't care at all about Khan because they're dummies, whatever. Well, but I mean, like, but, we're, we're living in the everyone era. Everyone watching Game of Thrones cares about Jon Snow. But we're living in the era where this is possible because Civil War is six weeks left and the Spider Man costume's on set and nobody's leaked it yet. So, like, we're. we're the I guess theoretically it's possible. I mean, but, if it's possible that they filmed all of Jon Snow's parts so he's not on set, like, that's genius. And I'll take being lied to to a certain degree because it's and then, fiction. And then I start to wonder, were all the leaks this season intentional to make us think that they're a leaky ship? And then mm. next season, it's... Lo- uh, I'm well, sorry. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm officially in the Citadel. We can move on. <laughs> we might get more into it in, like, the, the question... Being. I'm like shackled in the black cells of the Citadel and I'm not. We, we actually just had to build a new wing for you and I for like real life crackpot theories. Like it's like, oh, here's the main keep where we do all the show stuff, but here's our new tower of real life. Of real life people are lying to us all the time everywhere. I mean, so I mean, at this point, it's like, it really does come down to like, Who's lying and when? So, like, did Weiss and Benioff lie about Jon Snow's parentage mattering? Or when they got the show, is George Martin lying about death not being permanent for any of his characters? Are they lying now about Jon Snow? I think, I think it really does. It all feels like a very coordinated effort to throw everyone off of the thing that everybody knows. And I think what we found out in season five, and I promise we can get into the actual episode after this. <laughs> what we found out in season five is that the answer that we already knew was probably the right one in the first place. So remember the I mean, when the Sansa thing? Yeah, oh. so like like for instance, the Sansa thing. We all we went we jumped through hoops when she was gonna marry Ramsey to try and figure out ways that that wedding night could go differently ways that all of this could happen in a way that wasn't exactly what we thought it was going to be. Right. But the show did exactly what we thought it was going to do. So I feel like it's another one of those situations where like, we're going to spend an entire summer jumping through hoops to figure out is Jon Snow alive? Is he dead? Is, and then like episode one of season six, Melisandre is going to figure out that she's still got magic and she's just going to bring him back. Like everybody thought. Um. So, but don't worry, because we don't have to wait till then, because we'll find out in January when the book comes out. When the book comes out, and she burns Shireen in the book. Yeah, she burns Shireen in the book in order to bring back Jon Snow. Of course. I'm not they- buying that the Shireen blood magic only cleared up the weather. Like, that's a lot of King's blood. Like, there's got to be some oh, 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 we're at the beginning of the episode. This podcast is <laughs> yeah. about episode 10 of season 5, Mother's Mercy. <laughs> 
<laughs> we begin with icicles melting. Yeah, we begin I don't, with icicles I don't why in the books that Stannis is involved in Shireen burning. Because, you know, Weiss and Benningoff have this plausible deniability of like, oh, George told us this, so we had to do it. But like, if Stannis is not involved, then no, you made a dumb choice to involve Stannis right. in this decision, right? So, But it may expand later to still accomplish the same goal, which is bringing back Jon Snow. Well, and right. also burning a child with grayscale to eventually yeah, resurrect somebody, I mean, doesn't make the ultimate character arc of Stannis, should he be dead, any different, really? He's dead. He's probably dead. He's definitely dead. I don't know. That was the other one where I was just like, wait, why did they just not show that? No, I had like five What's people where I was like in this episode where I was like, are they really dead? But um, Kitty Rich over in Vanity, uh, my my boss over in Vanity Fair wrote this great piece sort of rounding up all the – I mean, unless they're lying about more things. But it seems like they wouldn't waste their energy lying about Stannis, about Marcella. But Stannis right. and Marcella are dead. Theon and Sansa are alive, which we, you know, book readers already knew. Oh, that's too bad. Um, I mean, but it's it's there to set up the whole lie. The whole episode is set up to construct this lie. And maybe the whole season's been set up to construct this lie. Okay, after the end of season five, I have the same question or the same word I did after the end of season four. Our wrap-up episode was called Jon Snow Jesus, so not a lot of our perspective has changed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is that once uh, we get This one should be called Jon Snow Jesus Part (laughs) 2. Jon Snow Jesus 2. John Snow Jesus rises or something. Yeah. Uh, Johnson. Anyway, anyway, we'll be we'll clever later. Um, is that once they di- divert from the book, I'm not sure how much I trust the show's version of these characters without so much of the lore to like lean on. So like this season, we got allusions to a lot of like prophecies that book readers still are more informed about than the show might ever go into. And, of course, the first prophecy from Cersei, which gave us our first flashback, which is the show sort of breaking its own structure because it suddenly needed some information it went over. It's like, I'm not... If if Winds of Winter doesn't exist in time, I feel like I, I'm not sure I trust the showrunners with these characters if they are doing what they think they know is best. The one thing that would like uh, dissuade me from that theory is if they knew they were working to a point where they had to be ambiguous about everything basically how the book is because the sixth book's coming out so i mean i don't know the way that the sansa arc adapted what you guys have told me was the jane pool story mm-hmm. onto sansa just seems like a decision where i could understand where every scene they came up for her came from uh when it ultimately ended but it they all seem like uh i don't know less interesting choices or choices locked in because if she were to do anything outside the jane pool ro- role they would be uh pushing another storyline past yeah, where they're allowed many, to enter it. yeah too many ripples exactly um the you know like she can't kill ramsey because i guess we need ramsey in the next book or whatever um yeah, someone asked me actually because they said at the beginning of the season I sounded optimistic about all the changes that they were making because a lot of the stuff in the book is boring. You know, like Sansa's book book stuff would be pretty boring, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Dorne is not boring, but it's still like it needed connective tissue. So I thought it was a cool choice to send Jamie there. But all mm-hmm. these decisions that I was in support of because I thought, you know, it was smart adaptation – um, ended up sort of blowing up Sansa 
in particular, Dorn, especially, um, you know, so they were like, well, are you happy now? Basically that you were excited about these changes. Um, and I guess not because I, I mean, the problem is, or, or Brienne, the, I talked about this a lot on the Cast of Kings podcast. You can't just take a character and slot them into another story and not change, you know, they're changing it a little bit, not enough. And so Sansa's character just is stuck being ineffective and having no regressing really because she can't have she has to just be there as a tool for theon or you know brianne because she's not supposed to, i mean you know you bring her the good point you could bring her the good point that she kills stana so that's a big deal but like you know brianne has been hovering around aria and sansa's plots with nothing to do because she can't actually interact with them really you know um and Dorn also just feel, I mean, Marcella's dead, but who cares? It's just, anyway, it feels like wheel spinning, which is what the books feel like. And we're all just waiting on George. And I do think it's unfair and unkind to be shitty towards this author because I have my own problems with procrastination. So, like, you know, you do you, George Martin. But as a result, both your books and the show are suffering. And that's, you know. I mean, I mean not, it, he could write at whatever speed he wants, but the show needs to decide if it's going to adapt the story he wants to tell or if it is going to tell its own story towards the end here. And I, it, I, I would be interested in both. I just need them to commit more than this. All this all seemed like a head fake. Like, well, there's nothing interesting for Sansa to do, so we'll give her something new to do. And it's like, oh, hey, sweet. But then, like, because they can't cause any ripples, she's, you know, locked in a sitcom loop, essentially, of misery. She's locked in a Jane Poole. I mean, and you say the Jane Poole story as if it would be, like, an interesting Lifetime movie, but it would not be. And so, like, the last thing we want is Sansa starring in the Jane Poole story. Like, that's the last thing we want because that girl just gets abused and abused and abused and then rescued by Theon. The end. You know, nobody wants that for Sansa. And that's what basically what we saw. Anyway, sorry. Yep. And, yes. it, and it really feels like they've done the big dance, the dance of adaptation. If you will. Oh, I will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> throughout this entire season where it's like, oh, we're going off book, but we're not really because we need to let George catch up. And that's what kind of hurts season five, because then a lot of these things that they did, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, they just don't feel earned. Like the Sansa thing is, is it's, they just didn't earn that, that kind of situation for her. And it, it all feels very lazy. And yeah, I mean, in the end, it's like, what, what is Sansa going to do now? You know, I mean, assuming that both of her legs aren't broken, my, my new, theory is that the first shot of episode one of season six is Ramsey comes out outside the gates of Winterfell finds Sansa with two broken legs and just drags her back in like that's <laughs> the most Game of Thrones way for that to all end to be like oh hey you made an 80 foot jump that was dumb you survived Come on back only in. because you landed on and killed Reek <laughs> well <laughs> and as uh, as super listener Pat pointed out um, Melisandre's warm snap would have like melted those snowbanks and then frozen them hard. So they're not right. like, like it's no, they're not jumping into powder. They're jumping into ice. I bank. saw that and um, <laughs> instantly was like, this is not safe. <laughs> like I know that I know that they kind of make it in the books. I don't remember it being that big of a deal that they like jumped from the outer banks. I feel like they just snuck out, but no, apparently they, they do jump in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that doesn't make it any more that any more plausible. Like just because it worked in the books. 
Um, cause Theon, I, I, God, it's such a Thelma and Louise moment where I'm just like, oh my God, I hope they're dead. Maybe her like, hood that's... acts as a parachute because it's so oversized. <laughs> I jump I mean, if you jump, okay? <laughs> the only the only cool thing that could ever happen, which won't happen because it's too cool, would be if, if she is dead and uh, Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Mir find her and resurrect her. Oh, yeah, but... I'd make Lady Stoneheart. Oh, I think, oh, I guess if we're there, I think Pod's there because where else would he be? Like, in, Or the show forgot about him, which I don't like. But like, Pod you know, uh, put down a thick layer of rabbits, so they've landed. Well, physics not of rabbits. Uh, I trust Brienne to be smart enough, a uh, uh, tactician, to walk into a battle after it's done and to keep Pod watching that goddamn tower the whole time if he's not going to be helping her out. Because My- otherwise, what else, what else is he doing? I really liked someone's complaint about Ramsey was like, he killed all these people terribly, you know, and then basically was like, well, got to go back to raping Sansa because he was like, my wife was mm-hmm. insane. It's just like, I mean, Joffrey had more nuance than this. And he was one of the evilest <laughs> bastards in the kingdom, you know, like you can't just kill someone and then be like late for a rape, basically. Like, anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Um, sure you can, can I say some things about Stannis? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. A couple things about Stannis. First of all, I do appreciate sort of the humor of the show making like the first five minutes of the episode where everything just fucking goes wrong for yes. Stannis. Like it's it all. I didn't expect it to all go so wrong so quickly after Shireen. Like it's I you know normally the show like waits and then there's consequences. Like he gets a high first, but no, it's like the next morning everything went terribly for Stannis. Um, and the Melisandre like just bailing thing I thought was pretty interesting because I think she just sort of realizes that she messed up a long time ago and like maybe her visions are right, but it was the wrong dude the whole time. So that's gotta right. be, that's gotta be rough on your psyche. Yeah. I think. So, yeah. So when Jon Snow comes back, which he is 90%, 98% sure, um, hashtag Kit Harrington here watch, um, he, that's when the Bolton banners are going to burn and go low. Right. right. Exactly, because, I mean, what's Jon Snow going to do now that he's technically been taken out of office as Lord Commander and he'll be resurrected with a flaming sword And after he stabs Ollie, obviously. Is that um, how he's tempering his sword? Through the forehead. (laughs) Um, He's going to Nisa Nisa Ollie. Um, Then then obviously he's going to go, you know, take out Winterfell, take everything back, grab an army, and then fight the White Walkers and win or lose or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um I have another thing to say about Stannis. Okay. okay. Do you want to because, say that now? Yes. <laughs> Stephen Delane, fantastic performance. Awesome. Agreed. The after he stabs the two Bolton men, which I thought was totally badass. Yeah. Uh, the the just the like a loud yowl that he lets out when he like sits down was just one of the best I'm done moments. Yeah. that I've seen in a long time where you're just like watching him and you're just like, oh, okay, he's going to die soon. Like if no one comes along and kills him, he's just going to lay there until he dies. Cause he is done and uh, an excellent performance. I think a, a good send off. I, it's one of those things where I kind of hope that even though they didn't show it, you, you kind of hope that Stannis is dead. Cause there's not really a whole lot else for him to do. And that's a good way for him to go. Well, what was insane about what director David Nutter said about his death is that they cut away because, to quote David Nutter, it would have been gratuitous 
to show him dying, which is the most... It's because, not, like, not well, gratuitous to show a naked woman walking through a city. Yeah, or let's just, like watch Miranda's head get meloned open in the courtyard, or... Also very awesome. Or David Nutter uh, directed The Red Wedding, so let's watch Talisa get stabbed in the pregnant belly. You know, like... Okay, David Nutter, please don't use the word gratuitous. Like he's gr- he's grading on a curve. <laughs> I think. Um, I did want to. I don't know if I can highlight this swiftly enough, but there is a great Reddit post that a listener sent me called um, "The Reason Bad Things Happen." The reason, basically, the reason why bad things happen on Game of Thrones has changed. Game of Thrones has gone from being a show that wouldn't cheat to help the good guys to a show that will cheat to help the bad guys. And then it has a mm-hmm. breakdown of sort of what has been happening recently. The, um, you know, basically to answer people's, when people say, well, what more do you expect when you get mad about bad things happening on Game of Thrones? What more do you expect? This is what the show has always been. And this guy says... The tragedy on the show used to be organic. People would die because Game of Thrones wasn't willing to give characters the one in a million lucky breaks that other shows give their protagonists. Now the show doesn't just not give the protagonists freebies. It bends over backwards to fuck them over. Honestly, every military conflict in the last two and a half seasons has seen the wrong side winning. And he mentions like Yara and the Ironborn basically running away from Ramsay. Um, the Unsully Embarrassed and Selmy losing a fight. Um, Ramsey's 20 good men in t- infiltrating the camp of the greatest military tactician alive. Um, the Drogon getting <laughs> speared when he shouldn't have been that injured. And then the Boltons, despite not being supported by most of the North and seemingly not having any massive source of money, raise an army of 10,000 and overwhelm Stannis. Um, and as I think we said off air, it only makes sense if Stannis is, um, the men who deserted Stannis if they went over to the Bolton side. Maybe that makes sense. But anyway, I, just, I think that is an interesting shift where um, I like that idea of, you know, Game of Thrones used to not give last minute redemptions or last minute breaks to your good guys that you would, you know, the deus ex machina that you would expect and hope for. And now it, it goes even one step further than that. And Marcella dies like right after accepting her father. You know, it's just like one well, one step crueler, you know? I mean, I mean, I think it's the evidence of where we are in the overall story arc. So like, you know, if, a Song of Ice and Fire is the Star Wars trilogy. Like, Han's getting frozen in carbonite right. right now. Like, where things are really dark and everybody that's going to survive has to hit their lowest point. And for some people that might be not surviving, 98% sure. And uh, <laughs> it's that's just where we're getting. It's weird to me, like, accusations that the show is mean, it's d- here's here's the question though the greater the the question that this kind of leads to in my mind is okay so we know a lot of things about game of thrones and we know a lot of things about the story martin's telling right now i i'm really wondering is this one of those classic fantasy stories where it's like it the darkness is really really dark and then something amazing happens you know the dark is Don't the night is darkest Jesus. before the dawn yeah or are we being set up for the great play on the trope, which is George Martin is like, this is just going to get worse. Like, and then everyone dies at the end. Yeah. Right. And like, it's, it's funny because like we wrote an article on Phil school rejects this, this week about like how game of Thrones should end. And we're like, well, the ice zombies should probably win because they seem to be the only coordinated army at this point that is, has a real plan. Um, I'm at this point at the end of season five and at the end of five books, I could go either way. 
And I think that's both frustrating and exciting because it could turn out to just keep getting hor like the Boltons could win for all we know. Like the Boltons could just hold the North forever and then a bunch of ice zombies will come wipe them out. But it's like, man, this could, this could go darker and it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I'd be all for it if that's how George R. R. Martin exacts his revenge on his show being so popular that he has to bother with it. Is if he just, you know, like lets it go there. The only thing that makes me think he's not going to do that is he's such like a, you know, old history buff, medieval history buff, and whatnot. Yeah. That it would seem weird that magic wins is the, uh, you know, conclusion to a medieval tale because even, you know, Tolkien knew, knew that's not how it happened. To what you were mm-hmm. saying, though, Dave, about the show being mean, like, I don't think I would ever call it mean. I think, um, I think the showrunners have exhibited malicious delight sometimes in manipulating people emotionally, especially in that Marcella situation. Um, but, and I don't care about Marcella, so I don't care that she's dead at all. Right. I care that that's the, I mean, as soon as Neil pointed out on Twitter that Alaria <laughs> was wearing Several that, Anna, the episode, by yeah, the way. yeah, like that's just under, under the wire, Neil pointed out that Alaria was wearing an antidote. And then as soon as she kissed Marcella, I was like, cool, Marcella's dead. And so that whole scene, I was just waiting for blood or I didn't know how it was going to sort of manifest. I've but anyway, been like calling things this year. <laughs> that was my one. I finally got one. I was so <laughs> You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. But, um, you know, so Weiss and Betty were like, well, we love doing this because, you know, Jamie's so, and then we rip Marcella away. And I was like, okay. I mean, I, it didn't really land for me though, but like, oh, the stuff with Oberon, something like that, or Ned Stark, I don't think of that as mean. I think that is like really, really good storytelling. Uh, well, um, I mean, but that's all also- very well earned. Yeah, and well-earned. And this just felt super cheap and flimsy. Flimsy as Marcella's dress. I mean, we're, you're jumping around. Let's go I'm there. Sorry. Um, uh, if we were, you know, in book-wise, Dorne is housing a Targaryen restoration plot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of. Yes. There's, there's a master plan to what Dorne... So, you know, there's a huge difference now between Prince Doran in the books and in the show. In the show, he really is just kind of a pacifist who's like, I will do whatever. And we don't know if there's some unless, viper in this grass. Like, we may find out. Re- yeah, he reveals it. It makes kind of sense that he would reveal it next year because if he reveals it to Alaria and the Sand Snakes next year, they're going to have that, like, oh, shit. Sorry, dude. Right. Sorry, oh, bro. We, we killed, we killed Marcella. Because Marcella's maimed in the book before they find out Prince Doran's plan. So timeline wise, it, I just hate that they, if they are going to do it, I hate that they're waiting till next year because mm-hmm. what a waste Doran's feels. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were saying, well, but well, on well, a basic, on a basic level, he supports the Targaryen restoration in secret, but it has a lot more to do with Aegon, the other Targaryen, not Daenerys, which they may just, have it be about Daenerys in the show. Well, but he's but he's also sending you know he's sending sand snakes out all over the place, and it's just like a, mm-hmm. a massive coordinated plan, as opposed to right. I'm going to sit in my chair and stare at my water gardens, which is what this prince seems to want to do. So well, but if they're ending the season in a way that could potentially also adapt the upcoming book, this would be a way to make sure that. Uh, Dorn and the Lannisters are in conflict, even if they don't have a secret sure. character. That's true. And 
it's one of the many people that uh, dies this episode to try to hammer home the fact that death is permanent right before they show you the last one, which isn't. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Um, uh, but I mean, I think I think it's the whole the whole Dorn situation is just I don't know. I, unless something like unless something really amazing happens in season six, I feel like it, it was just a complete waste of time to send a major what, character like Jamie there. That's what we said about the finale. We're like, well, maybe if they do something in the finale, it'll be redeemed. Yeah. And now we're like, well, maybe if they do something next year, it'll be redeemed. I did like um, <laughs> there was a quote from David Benioff in the inside the episode where he was talking about the Jamie and Marcella scene, and he's like. And he's like, you know, this is one of those scenes that if it ends 30 seconds earlier, it's a really heartwarming scene, but it's not. And I feel like he could be saying that about 30 different major scenes that have happened in Game of Thrones. Like, I really feel like they do kind of enjoy that um, snatching, snatching happiness away from the audience. And that's that's Um, what I mean is like a sort of, yeah, malicious glee and malicious glee. Okay. They enjoy. They enjoy. They enjoy causing us, like anguish that. in the audience. You yes. can call that malicious or not. Well, uh, but I mean, if they cause it, it's good because, like, I watched every episode of True Blood, and every single one of those episodes ended on a cliffhanger. But I could not recall a single one for you because they were all meaningless. Well, like well, as, I think as, the good as a, ones as a storytelling device, making you care and then beating you over the head with your daring. To but care I don't is care. But I don't care about Marcella. I care about and Oberon and I care about Ned Stark. But I don't care about Marcella, and I even don't even care that Jamie is upset. Like um, I like Jamie, but that whole thing, you know, you didn't earn it. You know, so so setting up a story where we care about Ned Stark, we're rooting for him. We think he is an archetype of a protagonist, and he dies. And we're upset. That's not malicious glee. That's good storytelling. Ditto Oberyn. Marcella not earning it. I mean, we don't even care about that character at all. They recast the actress. And I bet you 90% of the people didn't even notice. Nobody cares. They didn't give her anything really interesting to do this season. So then she's just a device to sort of, uh, you know, fuel Jamie's story. Um, you know, which you could say about Sansa, which you could say about, you know, Shireen, which you could say about like a lot of the women in the story this uh, season. But uh, yeah, the Marcella thing is just, it's different. Like, don't you agree that it's a different way oh, of sure. trying to achieve the same thing? Like a, a, a sort of like a, a poor facsimile of what those real, those red wedding, Mountain and the Viper, Ned Stark moments are, you know? Yeah, I think it's one of the things where the show, I, this is why I don't trust the show with the characters from the book, because it was a it was a change because they needed as many people as possible to die this episode for Maybe. the aforementioned uh, foreshadowing yeah. reasons. And then also to, as a way to keep Dorne and the Lannisters at each other's necks for another season because they moved this character around. The dance of adaptations continues. The dance of adaptations continues. Here's my <laughs> other complaint about season yeah. five. Only Stannis was playing the actual Game of Thrones, as far as I could tell. What the hell? As for someone who likes politics. I mean, politics, Cersei was playing it terribly. I mean, fair <laughs> enough. But that was more, just as much. And the Trells were playing it, too. Uh, sort of. Those were, they were both playing games of Save My Family. No, it's just basically like the High Sparrow won the Game of Thrones this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't, he's not controlling a throne. And, and doesn't and seem little, to want to. Little well, then you're just caring about the actual object of the throne, whereas I'm we're talking, talking about, about the, like seat of power, which is what the High Sparrow has in King's Landing right now. 
fair enough. I'm saying in the show that like two seasons ago there were five kings and now there's one living king and I haven't seen him in a season and a half. Just they seems are. a little weird. He's like weird. ten and he just got laid and now he's sad. I'm not talking. Oh no, you're about talking. Him. He's talking about Balon. He's talking about Balon. Oh, Balon. The War of the Five Kings. <laughs> no, but that's kind of the point, Dave. I mean, I think uh, what we'll find out in in George R. R. Martin's original adaptation. Um. Oh crap! Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember. It's three books. The first book is the Game of Thrones. It's about mm-hmm. the power in King's Landing. Second book is Daenerys invades Westeros with her dragons, and then the third is that Daenerys and her dragons fight the White Walkers. That's the progress. So Game of Thrones. The fact that you think the Iron Throne is important is incorrect, because you know it's sort of da- uh, Daenerys's wheel of power speech that she gives, right? Where she's like, "This one's on top, then this one, then this one," and it doesn't matter. And we found that out in Hard Home, where we're like, "Shit, the Iron Throne doesn't matter at." all these motherfuckers can raise you from the dead with an arm gesture like oh my god you know and so you find you you find out that it's not about the game of thrones that that's that's insignificant penny any bullshit and that the real fight is between the the entire realm of men and these mythological creatures in the north or, or real creatures from the north you know and really the only way a lannister survives to the end of this is if he's riding a dragon it's Tyrion. And if he's part Tyrion. All these other Lannisters are so screwed. <laughs> yeah. I guess they I like think all they're doing it. I guess I like all of that, but I really felt the absence in the other storylines, which I think is what made them feel it's as close as I could get to putting a finger on something across all the storylines I felt were stagnant across this season. Is there maybe it's not that there wasn't a, the actual Game of Thrones, but there wasn't an end point that I could latch on to and therefore I couldn't judge progress. It's like Jamie got to Dorne way too early comparatively for what I know that the arc is because we had like two episodes of him sitting in prison rooms writing with his bad hand and Braun singing awesome songs, which I guess I could have had another episode of that. <laughs> but it's like that uh, Marine. Uh, well, yeah, the Marine. I mean, but that's also part of that is George R. R. Martin's weird like. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I basically feel like we have no structure to this podcast this week, and I apologize We're, for that, guys. But, that's okay. Everybody's seen it. the episode and <laughs> literally read this. everything that they possibly can at this point. But, like, so, you know, we've talked about this before, that George R. R. Martin, um, his original vision was that the kids would grow up, and so he's been padding the books in order to give the kids time to grow up. Um, you know, so Ari is off training, and Bran is, you know, also training, and all sort of stuff. Um but the reason why everyone's so annoyed by the Marine stuff in the books is because Danny is supposed to invade. Basically, she's supposed to invade Westeros with her original Kalisar. But she, like, went and hung out in Marine. And now she's got a, a new Kalisar and a dragon. And now they're going to bow down to her because she's got a full grown-ass dragon. She's going to take her dragons and her Kalisar and go invade Westeros. But we had to wait a long time for, A, her dragons to grow up and, B, you know. So, like... You see this happen over and over again where you're like, oh, you're right back where you started, Danny. You could have done this at the end of season one, but we had to wait several seasons because George Martin is stalling for time in his books. So then the show has to stall for time. So that Bran can be older. So that Bran can be older, but who cares? You know, I mean, I guess. So basically, Dave, what you're experiencing with season five is the (laughs) feeling of reading the fourth and fifth book, (laughs) uh, which are... There's some really great stuff in there. Obviously, Jon Snow gets stabbed at the end. It's pretty crazy. Um, but most of it is really bloated. 
And I think that the show, I think to its credit, the show in season five did a couple of things that, that did bring action to some storylines. You know, the Sansa thing, problematic in a lot of ways, but at least they gave her something to do. Cause like there's chapters from winds, the winds of winter where she's just like still chilling in the veil, like learning stuff about like the 450 million nights of the veil and, and complaining about how Robin sucks because he does yeah, super yeah. boring. There's more <laughs> yeah. Robin. Like I'm glad yeah. that kid's gone. Same thing with like Tyrion and Jorah. It's like, well, they're getting tattoos with slavers and they're looking at Marine in the books. So, um, the show's done a good job of accelerating some of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, Joanna's right. It's, it's the bloat of those two books is, um, has filtered into the show in, in ways that, that have taken everybody's eyes off the ball, which hopefully that these last two seasons, and I, I hope that the reason that they only want to do seven seasons is because everything's about to get really focused on the real war. Yeah. And they need those two seasons to make it happen. Um, because I feel like if they if they admitted to themselves that oh maybe we could do ten seasons, then that would allow them they they would turn into the TV version of they George. Done, yeah, they could have done the Siege of Marine, and we'd all be crying. They, they could do like two more seasons <laughs> in Marine, and their show would suck. Yeah, it would. So, so here's the question: Should I be giving them adaptation points for? faithfully replicating that aspect of the book like i would give hannibal adaptation <laughs> points for not following the plot but basically replicating what it is to read the thomas harris novel no i think at one point they i don't think they had the whole picture to start but at one point they cornered george and were like okay what matters right. and he had to tell them and they were like great you know, like, and maybe they never would have, well, I mean, you can't, like, not send Daenerys to Marine at all. But, uh, you know, if they had all the books to begin with, I bet we would have gotten, you know, like, five tight seasons. And they could have cut some, like, really n- nonsense stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's theoretical. So no, no points. Just the replicating <laughs> uh, the feeling sort of writing of. a book on television. I do think that they've, they've throughout the seasons, you know, um, Season one does a really great job of replicating the way that book feels. Um, have you the same have, thing with season two? Have you seen that chart that a that a redditor made of like how each chapter correlates to each episode? Mm, I think I've glanced at it. Yeah. Yeah. So the x-axis basically is the chapters and the books chronologically from left to right, and then the y-axis um, top down are the episodes and the seasons as they go. And so you see it as like really tightly, a real tight correlation in the first season, first book. And then you watch it just sort of scatter towards Mm -hmm. the end, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Like a good thing because there are problems, but a bad thing because I don't know, just feels scattered. Well, and they did. And I think that they're, they get a lot of points in my book for seasons three and four for breaking that book into perfect halves, which is funny because they, they really broke it into like first two thirds were season three. And then the last third is like season four. Um, because there really is like this weird natural breaking point after the red wedding where I threw my book across the wall and it put a dent in the wall. And then I didn't <laughs> read the book for like two weeks. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, okay. Well, that's a good stopping point for the show, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, like Oberyn shows up when I pick the book back up and I'm like, oh, this is awesome again. And you're I'm like, in. hello, sexy. Hello. Right. And then like he dies and then I didn't want to read the, f- I-, I think it was like a month before I even picked up the fourth book. Cause I was like, you know what? 
fuck this series. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. And um, and then those last two are just a slog. They're just they're hard. And there's still more material to go. I I, I firmly believe that we are going to get. Um, this may be getting ahead of ourselves, but I firmly believe that we're going to get some kink smoot in in season six. And I am holding on to the theme of resurrection for next year. I'm holding on to John comes back. Catelyn comes back. <laughs> people start coming like people like the magic ante will co- will go up like the minute they resurrect. Well, and John's, that's- no, it's like all bets are off. We go back to the Riverlands. Lady Stoneheart's there. Shit's going down. And I mean, that's part of the the series is that magic is coming back in the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, you start the series more rooted in, in what we think of as the real world. And all of a sudden now we're in a place where there are ice zombies and dragons and all sort of stuff. And so people being resurrected all over the place makes makes sense. And, and in, the, in the realm of... of of the Westeros, Essos, et cetera, Southeros, uh, magic is coming back into the world. Um, what was I going to say? A couple things. Oh, one, I did want to walk back something I said on the cast of Kings. I, I was pretty brutal about the whole Daenerys dropping her ring as a breadcrumb for the people tracking her. I thought that was really stupid. Uh, but then a bunch oh. of people pointed out that I was really stupid because they could probably track the dragon by like, charred cor- carpus- uh, corpse carcasses not a weird combination too uh, and well and, and really quickly uh they make a giant target they made the a huge all those horses like beat down the grass around the ring so if they go and they're like what is this it's like oh a calisar took danny yeah oh a calisar took danny exactly so i apologize i was uh, um unduly harsh on the show they were right i was wrong the end i mean it's still kind of obvious though I mean, <laughs> well, no, I was thinking of, of Dario and, and, and Jorah walking up on like a pristine sea of grass and finding a ring. That was my vision. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's stupid. But the, but the, you know, the hoof prints thing is, is key. Okay. Yeah, I have, that's I have a, several questions of horses. Um, Go ahead. in this episode uh, that I need Joanna to explain to me because apparently Uh-oh. I'm not a good book reader. Uh, but the, the first one was the, Drogon thing like where they landed there's all that burnt stuff around him yeah so is that like his nest is that like where he's been hanging out I think so yeah or did he just like throw up a lot when they landed no when she in the book she's like she could tell that he had been around where they were okay because that's Um, what I think I had forgotten was like I'm like sitting there like why is it all burnt and why are there like full skeletons almost laying there um, yeah, like he's been there before, sense, maybe eating the Kalasar's horses. Um, I really like him. Like he licked his wounds definitely like a cat. It was really cute. Um, and then but, he went to sleep just like uh, our household dog goes to sleep. So cute. Like, he's like, I don't feel like moving anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Chin on, on the ground. Sleep. Yeah. Except but um, I, I was rereading that chapter and um, – you know, she's with Drogon. Drogon won't go home, but Drogon isn't as like maimed as he seems to be in the show. And he, but he won't take her back. But he does like she does ride him, and he does uh, barbecue a horse and pick it up, like one of the Kalasar horses, not with anyone on it. He like burns one of the horses while she's riding and picks it up, and then she and Drogon like just sit down and feast on a horse carcass. So when the Kalasar rides up. 
Daenerys. I mean, she's <laughs> not like eating one of their sacred horses. <laughs> yeah, they're like eating a horse. Um, uh, you know, which reminds me of season one, Danny like eating a horse heart. I'm like, that would have been also a really badass way to finish. Yeah, in the book, sh- the she's with Drogon when they ride up on her, right? Yes, like she's standing right next to him. Yeah. So it's like. Uh, I didn't think of it as malicious when I read it in the books because I was like, oh, they found obviously Daenerys Targaryen, the mother of dragons. <laughs> like, it's like they knew exactly who she was. But like the way they find her in the show, it's like, oh, they just think they picked up some woman. I mean, they, mm. I mean, she's not hard to pick out of a lineup, but the dragon's not around. So she's in. But I, could see, I could see season six opening with them like thinking they have the other hand i mean the reason they had to leave it that way is because they haven't cast cal joko yet he's in the casting mm-hmm. call for season six but they haven't cast him so they couldn't like show any interaction right, right. so they ride up so then next season we're going to cut to her talking to him basically and then i'm guessing drogon's going to be like what up i was just <laughs> above you on this cliff what up respect- horse lords <laughs> right. respect I'm my mother yeah i mean it gives <laughs> like, us our uh mandated dragons yeah. in the premiere and finale of That's game true. of thrones yeah exactly um so there's that okay i <laughs> have other questions that will take us to bravos but i have one more thing i want to say about the north <laughs> okay <laughs> i miss I, I i i feel like i just have to say something about all, all the characters who died except for marcella <laughs> um i will miss miranda because she seems like the only character this season who is having any fun at all. Like everyone else's life sucks. She was tormenting Sansa, granted. And having the but best. But she seemed to be it. enjoying yeah. the shit out of it. Uh-huh. Also, she seemed to be the only one who was properly malnourished. <laughs> so I will miss her now that her head has been splattered across the courtyard of Winterfell. Um, I just hate that, like, you know, I don't know. I, like you know Miranda is not the real villain here so like the fact that the like you know the woman had to die when Ramsay She is a monster. pretty big villain for Theon though she's like she's like number character. 2 on Theon's kill list Yes that's true she's been tormenting him for a long time she's so like I get why Sansa Yeah so like anyway speaking of Marin Trant Wait 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 <sighs> quickly Damn it. sorry sorry and then uh, we'll go to Bravos I swear um Oh yeah Bravos I even mm-hmm. got the city wrong too what was I going to say? Damn it. I don't remember. Something about Miranda's malnourished hip bones. No, no. Something you didn't like about her being thrown over the... No, no. Uh, it was about the North. I don't remember. Okay, anyway, let's move on. This show was the height of violence against women um, that you could either root for or, or be completely repulsed by. Because there was some that people I think were rooting for. Like Miranda, it's like she had to go. And that's fine. Like any other character, she had to go. So, yeah, I guess if they hadn't cut like directly from her to Marin Trent, like basically beating little girls, and then from <laughs> that to Marcella dying, and then from that to Cersei, um... it's their classic double. Down. <laughs> classic Game of Thrones double down on our horrible things. <laughs> oh, um, oh, oh, but... oh, oh! I remember what I was going to say. Sorry, sorry. Uh, hey. uh, I'm working on like a big piece about sort of what I think has changed in Game of Thrones for me. I do still enjoy it. I just don't enjoy it the same way I used to. And part of it is, is, you know, maybe it's what Dave says about this being the end of empire and everyone's in peril, you know, always darkest before the dawn, but I miss the humor. 
I was looking at some old mm. scenes and, you know, it's just like even, you know, Jamie's having so much fun being an asshole in season one. And, mm. you know, of course, Tyrion. Dinklage got to be like the best and so funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I miss just some of the levity and I understand why it wouldn't, you know, so as you say, Miranda seems to be the only one having fun. Like, I understand why it wouldn't do for you know, Sansa to be cracking jokes or anything like that. But, <laughs> um, you know, and Stannis, like the best thing that passed for humor this year was Stannis's like grammar Nazi-isms, you know? So anyway, I, I miss the humor. Well, and it's, it's kind of like last year when, when they all, when we, we ended with these pairs. So it's like, we ended with like Brienne and Pod and we're like, oh, that'll be pretty entertaining. Brienne and Pod, Jamie and Bronn, we thought was going to happen. That sounds great. Um, who are, who's the other pair? There was another pair. Oh, I guess Braun is supposed to be also Tyrion prominent. and Varys. That was great. Um, so we were kind of excited about the potential, like for entertainment value. But like now we look at the end of season five, it's like who are the pairs that are out there? Bran and Potter out there, but they need a new hobby. Um, Sansa and Dion. Reek and Sansa. <laughs> oh my god, worst the pair. Misery twins. Yeah. Um, Davos and Melisandre. <laughs> Davos and Melisandre. Jamie and Bronn, but they're with Tristane now. And a dead girl. <laughs> and a dead girl. So that sucks. I mean, the only like happy-ish uh, thing no, is no, like no, we got uh, uh, Dario and Jorah. And yes. Dario and Jorah Tyrion could be fun. Tyrion and Barry. I was gonna say that the only one that that makes Cersei me a little Kyber. happy. Cersei and Kyber. and Zombie Mountain. Um, <laughs> I, I'm excited for that one. Kevin and uh, Grandmaster Pycelle. Oh, uh, all-time BFFs. The high, well, and if the High Sparrow and Lady Olena get some more screen time, that could be fun. But it's not gonna be funny. Um, yeah, I guess Olena. So yeah, fun. you're right. The humor. Yeah. Has been sucked out of the world and replaced with magic. Magic. God damn it. The Maesters were right. Send the magic back away and bring back the humor. Bring back, bring back humor. our humor. Um, <laughs> all right, Bravos. Can we go to Bravos now? Yeah, okay. Bravos. So, Bravos, um, first of all, I learned that Arya can, she's, the one thing she's learned in her summer internship is how to take a lot of pain, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite kills of the series so far because it's so horrible and it's a character that's just, deserves every inch of it. Um, I mean, she could have like, like it happens in the books when she kills Wrath the Sweetling, she could have just cut off his manliness, but she goes full on and it's great, but I'm super confused about the uh, faces thing. Oh, I don't get it at all. I mean, I think I've lost how that works. If you're looking for enlightenment, enlightenment for me, I have none for you. And I think the game, the, the, the show is just like, meh, why explain it? It's magic. Like, <laughs> I saw it because, as a metaphor. Like, as she starts going blind, everything that's happening to her is the perception the House of Black and White needs her to teach her a lesson. The Yoda, the Yoda tree. Oh, the Yoda tree. It's the Yoda tree mm-hmm. on Dagobah. Mm-hmm. Dagobah I guess tree. that makes sense because the, the actual way that, like, the blood paste and the face thing works, even by the show's own rules, when she's putting the face back, like we see her physically putting that face back, then to be like ripping off all these faces off of this person who just drank. And poison. then the faces just go dissolve. Right, they just go away. Yeah. And there's no physicality to it, and then one of them's her. So it's like, how do they get the Arya face? Um. So yeah, I guess maybe she's just going crazy. But yeah, take up a tree. I'll, I'll buy. Um. Okay, but that was just confusing. I didn't it like was. it. Well, that's another I mean, thing I, where it's like I don't know what 
the end game is because the character supposedly wants to become an assassin, even though obviously the audience and the large part of her wants her to continue her murder tour. So it's yeah, we got stuck with a whole bunch of uh, face game, game of faces, game of lies. Which one? Yeah, well, and Arya is one of those <laughs> characters who like seeing where she fits into the bigger picture is really hard. Um, because she's she's off like completely isolated. Um, and I like that they didn't kill Jacken because oh my god, if it was her and the waif, I'm done with that storyline. <laughs> um. But you're like, can Danny's Dragon start in Bravos? Can her Kalasar right? come like, like come level on, Bravos? Just do please? something interesting. But I, I do think that, like season six, it makes sense that she will learn a very powerful lesson. She, she will be a more serious killer. She will be less Arya when we meet her next. And then she goes on the road and somewhere along the line on the road, which is what happens in the books is that she sees the Night's Watch deserter, Raph the Sweetling. And that kind of brings her back because until then she she actually does learn a very powerful lesson about being blind um you know she become she becomes more of a faceless man or faceless woman or faceless girl or whatever Whoa, man. i don't know what the hierarchy is um, um yeah so needles needles the thing that's gonna have to bring her back then because that's the only thing that we Some, planned. something else, else is gonna have to list. happen yeah but I mean, um, her list is kind of short at this point. And a goddamn so. sword. No, it's just like the the thing that like Jon Snow always comes back, and it's, Sam says this this season's rotten full of allusions to what they're pretty sure is going to happen in a book that's probably going to come out. <sighs> Sorry, I got really so, frustrated with that phrase. Um, <laughs> what what I was going to say? Oh, the thing about Arya, you know, you can probably tell by how much I'm talking about it that I just refreshed myself on the original. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. outline, which is um, why I needed answers from you. And I know, I know that he's changed a lot, and he has license to change whatever he wants. But I think one of the reasons why we're having trouble figuring out where Arya fits in is that initially it was supposed to be like she's supposed to be the middle of a love triangle between John and Tyrion. So really, she was just like a love interest. So when it comes down to the, um, it you changes know, the way I view a lot of those early scenes. I know, I know. When he's like giving her needle and she's like hugging him, and I'm like, ooh. Um, but yeah, you know, if he's not her brother, just her cousin, I guess um, it's fine. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so a, a love triangle between Tyrion and John, and that was going to like drive, you know, uh, caused tension between Tyrion and John. So maybe like make it hard for them to work together as dragon riders if they are two of the three dragon riders. So then that's Arya's function, right? Is as, you know, that's the drama that she's driving. So what's, so given that we 100% know that that is not going to be her fate in the show, um, because Tyrion plus Masendi forever, um, (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm hoping Gendry rose up in front of the house of black and white uh, and she's like, cool, I'm going to hop in your boat. Let me get the needle that I buried right here, and we're good to go. Let's go find the Brotherhood. Oh, instead of just rowing, if she just happened to cross him, and that's what brings her back, I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. More Gendry. Yeah, I mean, where, the, where the hell's Gendry? Gendry's, Gendry's function in the books is to do kind of what Brienne is doing, except he does it with Brienne, which is randomly pop up in people's timelines kind of you know so mm-hmm. I just, it'd be, i'd like it more if it's a person than needle and i like the idea of her learning something and then getting pulled back to something from her old life it's just like if it's not needle her, her things that she met 
are mostly dead at this point. Maybe her dire wolf, because dire wolves are actually supposed to be important. Can they swim? That's what I should have asked, <laughs> not giants. Giants, who cares? Can dire wolves swim? Well, probably. And so also probably giant at this point. Um, it's just gonna it's gonna bite uh, Littlefinger's giant mockingbird out of the sky. Anyway, who wrote on Littlefinger's mockingbird this week? Someone? Oh, Melisandre. Melisandre took the the mockingbird from Stannis's camp back to the yeah, wall. Like, yeah, like apparently the wall and Winterfell are like it's like it's like Spain the corridor between San Francisco and L.A. But like sometimes there's no traffic, so you yeah, get there really five. quickly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Sometimes the five is just smooth sailing. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's like a lot closer than you'd think, but it takes like 15 hours because the traffic sucks. But if you have the last horse of the north. Any, <laughs> anything that brings. Uh, let me go back to Gendry really quickly before we move on to whatever we're doing next. <laughs> anything that brings Joe Dempsey back into the show. That's the magic that I think is missing from Westeros. Joe Dempsey's abs. Yeah, Joe Dempsey's ass. Let's get down to the real heart of it here. <laughs> I mean, I'm the not disagreeing abs. with you. The Mabs. <laughs> the Mabs. All right. <laughs> Just like Bron, Bron should never leave because of that sweet, silky voice. So. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something about Tyene. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah. The Tyene thing, not to dwell on the Dorn thing, but come on. Like, what kind of line is that? Awful. Like, what? Also, I really I, like for a second I- there... I thought she was going to bite him and poison him again. That would have been great. What if she said, tough muff? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it, it's weird because, like, that's not... Having read the books, like, something like that feels like something that someone in our world would say. It does not feel like something that even yeah. the craziest Dornish um, nymphomaniac would say in the books. Like, it just doesn't feel right. Um there's got to be a more eloquent way to do that, but that's the theme for Dorn this year. There had to be an eloquent more way, more way, to, do way to do that. <laughs> so oh. anyway, Bravos. Oh, Arya's blind. That sucks. Whatever. She'll get over it soon enough. Arya's blind. Really weird ritualistic killing that I liked because it turns out that was going to be the death that I liked the most this uh, episode. I, I kind of had an idea going in because Joanna texted me the last scene before the episode started. Like a pro. Uh, <laughs> she almost texted it to me. I instantly. No, I mean, I, I texted both of you. Happening. Well, I texted both of you, but then I knew that Neil wouldn't want to know. So I texted the follow up just to Dave. Yeah. Yep. I, I protected you, Neil, I promise. And like the HBO screen was like on pause in the room full of people I was watching and like my phone vibrated and I looked oh. down and I went <sighs> And they're like, What? I'm like, nothing. Let's go, let's go. Nothing, nothing, tra la la. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I did my cheat thing where I fast forward to the very end of the episode to see if my post that I had pre written was accurate and then Jon Snow was just lying there and nothing happened and I was like, Oh no. <laughs> Oh my sweet, sweet pre-written post wasted. Anyway. Oh yeah, that's yep. that's things that it's gonna happen to all of us more and more as we Sorry, push on dumb, in the seasons. Dumb inside baseball. All right, what else are we talking about? Speaking this is of why I wait till posts, Mondays. <laughs> speaking of pre-written posts, Vandy Fair had a very good one on public shaming about our next scene by yes. Mrs. Mm-hmm. Mr. John Ronson, where Cersei has to walk naked uh, because of the mother's titular mother's mercy. Um, that you know was in uh, Game of Thrones' use of nudity, both provocative and uh, worked. 
So that's two pluses you don't usually see in the same column. Two pluses in a column. I don't know what I'm trying to get at. It wasn't as horrible <laughs> as I think some people were expecting it after how this season sort of treated its characters. And uh, the CGI worked well enough that I was able to uh, focus on Atlanta Handy's face because uh, that's where I wanted to focus anyway because it was a body double. And, like, you know, you've seen one naked woman and you kind of get the basic idea of what that is. So I got to see a fantastic arc between like defiance and shame and then finally breaking down and then maybe a tiny bit of hope when she's lifted by her zombie friend and i was oh, like damn like you do legit that with old school cersei comes back like in that little moment you're just like oh no she's not gone yeah after this whole and it's i think it's just as horrible as it was in the books. And I think it, this was probably one of the best scenes of I the agree. episode by far. I agree. Um, cause the John thing is cheap. The way they pulled that off is cheap. Well, but this, yeah. was, Engine? It, okay, sorry. <laughs> it, it, it felt earned um, because we've seen Cersei make all the mistakes that lead up to it. Like this is the one storyline that I think paid off. Um, and, and even though I knew what was happening and I knew how it would end and I still felt the emotion of at first you're like, Oh great. Cersei's getting what she deserves. And then about halfway through thanks to just a wonderful performance from Lena Headey from like the chin up. Um, <laughs> you just get this overwhelming sense of like, maybe I feel bad for Cersei and I'm having trouble dealing with this right now because this is horrible. Like it's, it's a horrible thing for her to go through. Um, and then I love the little, the kind of weird smirk she gives at the end. It's like, Oh yeah. Now I got my buddy and we're gonna, <laughs> you guys <laughs> are all going to get death. it now. I, I've yep. um, I've seen some people complain about how long the scene went on, and I disagree completely. Yeah, no, it needs I think you needed that, that time to have that mm-hmm. that journey that that Neil describes there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because she's really at one point. I'm pretty sure somebody smears poop on her shoulder. Oh yeah, that's bad. Like it's rough. Um, <laughs> also, though, I did find a lot of humor. There was one moment, like right as it was getting really bad, that guy like jumps out and flashes her, and he's like, "All hail the royal tits!" And I'm like, "Wait, what? Did they just do that on Game of well, Thrones?" And then, like, they just one walk of by the frat, <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> and then, like, one of the um, sparrows who's walking with her, the sparrows, right? Or just that King's eyes. Like it wasn't a punch. It was like he had like a kosh, like he bludgeoned her in the like caved her face. And I was like, whoa, okay, all right, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I do think that what another thing that just makes the scene and really has made the last couple of episodes of Cersei is the woman that that they cast. um, Oh, the Septa, as Septa Anella. Yeah, man, she's good. She's really good. Um, She's got really inspired going on. Yeah. Yeah. And the just her yelling shame, um, and not betraying how she feels so about the thing, so you could put on like that. Septa's really enjoying this. To like, oh, that Septa's on her side. And then back to like, oh nope, nope she's she, really enjoying this. She is straight down the middle, like fundamental I agree. about this penance, and I think that makes it really work. Um, you know, I think it is it is really well done. I I am a little pissed off about the zombie mountain though. That he's because that he looks like Thanos. Well, he looks like Thanos. <laughs> But the armor is the wrong color. the The thing that should makes be him white and should be is that right? white, like bright yeah. white, and it's like a full helm. And I get why they had to do like the same helmet that the knight that the Kingsguard has because you have to kind of see his eyes and like 
they want you to remember that he's a zombie. But only they can only pull this off in the show because they discarded the the whole like sending the mountain skull to Dorne to like right. pacify Dorne. Right. Um so but I the white armor thing always stuck out to me because I was like, oh, that makes him so much different than the Kingsguard. Like not only is he much bigger, but he just has this huge presence. When they first showed him, I thought that that was a different guy and like he was gonna come down the stairs. Like when they first cut to him, I'm like Oh wait, where where's the mountain? No, I have those proportions between Lena Headey and and I don't know Hopfar Bjornsson or whatever that guy's name Thor is. Bjornsson? Like, yeah, I feel like pre- you call him Thor Bjornsson. <laughs> pretty well memorized because of that great photo that they posted. And like, oh, she mm-hmm. comes up to his pelvic bone. That's the mountain. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, one of our listeners wanted to ask us what our thoughts were on a potential what they called Clegane Bowl. Uh, next season, which is <laughs> Reddit loves this one. I see this on Reddit like every week. I love it. I love it. Right. Which is that, um, you know, Cersei has Sir Robert Strong as her champion and sometimes somehow he ends up fighting the hound. And then we get that brother duo because, uh, we've seen that they're probably, uh, captain casting Septon Maribald, which means they're probably doing the hound is not dead plot next season. So, um, resurrection is our theme. Resurrection is the theme. Um, I think that's a great theme. I love the idea of a Clegane bowl because mm-hmm. it's, it's the fight that we never got at that tourney where the mountain cuts the horse in half. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the hound starts to go and then somebody like, I think it wasn't it like Ned that like stops him and is like, no, or Robert or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, so someone who's I, I dead like, now. I like so I like that idea, and I do think it fits into the resurrection theme that that will permeate. I don't know how they're going to get the Hound to King's Landing, though. So, well, maybe maybe Septon Maribald is going the other way. Maybe he's going to the High Sparrow instead of going out oh. of the lands. Okay, like that's it's an e- it feels like an easy change. It's like oh, he's just going the other way. That's true. Um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, oh, um, friend of the show friend of friend in general jesse carp um i don't know i think i shared with you neil i'm not sure maybe with you too dave but i'll share with the world that his theory as to how they're going to keep Jon snow under wraps is that they will announce something like this like this theme of resurrection or something at comic-con which is only it's less than Mm -hmm. a month away so then they only have to live for a month and then they debut that makes sense either at comic-con of like jk Kid Harrington's coming back. So like the teaser. And the for books go on sale. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Boom. But like Kid Kid Harrington, you know, like the first shot of the teaser is Kid Harrington's like, you know, eyes, eyes opening back up or something. No, oh no, my god. Shot, you guys, last shot of the teaser. People oh yeah, yeah. Okay, last shot. People are sending me the craziest shit. Like someone sent me this YouTube video that's just a loop of the first like Jon Snow on the ground, like when he first lands and then the end of the shot, and basically his pupils dilate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a loop of those two images flashing back and forth <laughs> to show his pupils dilating to prove I don't know what. Someone also sent me um, a shot of um, the pool of blood next to him and how it looks like a dire wolf, I guess. I was oh like, God. yeah, so it's happening. It's all Man, happening. We're, it's the trutherism <laughs> is going to be real high. Yeah. We're not moving on from Lady Stoneheart. We're certain about Jon Snow. Yeah. <laughs> We're not moving on from Lady Stoneheart, though. I think it, we should make that known. Um, but our, I, I will say this. I love our, our listeners. One of them uh, sent me a thing on Twitter that was like a screenshot from season 
two when uh, Tyrion is sending Marcella off to Dorne, and he says um, she she's going to marry uh, Dorne's youngest. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Like they did kind of set up that Tristane's not the heir, and yeah. then they kind of walked it back, I guess. Um, also, I guess Jorah told Danny, I think it's season two as well. Um, that a Kalisar follows strength. She wouldn't rule a Kalisar until she had strength. And now she's got a goddamn fully grown dragon. So, Which is can, pretty strong. She can rule well, a Kalisar. That's another thing about the dragons is that they're not, Drogon's not even fully grown. Right. Like he is a teenager. So I think that's an important thing to remember is that like in theory, this dragon should like, the most of the concepts of the dragons when they're fully grown, like Aegon and the Conqueror and stuff like that, is like there's like dudes like standing straight up on the neck bone of a dragon, right? Like holding onto a, like a, a a rope that's like around their neck and is like just like it's almost like windsurfing. I think I know exactly the fan art that you're talking about. Yep, which is Valerian. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like that's how big dragons get. Yeah. So I hope the show goes there because that's extremely ridiculous. Like the dragons well, will be might. massive. They might, but on the other hand, you know, like the Iron Throne is supposed to be, you know, five times the size of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that was another theory. I don't know that we talked about that. Someone said that they might have the dragons melt down the Iron Throne because apparently the Iron Throne is made up of a lot of Valyrian steel. Hmm. Ah. So that could be a trove so, of Valerian steel. The, as we find out in this episode, not enough dragon, not enough Valerian steel to survive the White Walkers. Yep. Right. Right before John and Sam have one of their fun sex talks. Hey, we made it to the wall officially. Yes. Sam and John talk. <laughs> Sam's had sex and asked to go to Old Town to become a maester. I will miss this most about John and Sam is yeah, that like in the last two talks. seasons, they've had these like <laughs> hilarious, like adolescent sex talks and they're both, you know what? Here it is. They're both just really sweet about it. Like they're both John nice. Bradley. John Bradley is so cute. So what it's like, these are the last two dudes in all of Westeros who are having sex, who actually like the women that they're with. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Bran and Rickon will be like, uh, you know, the next version of this when they come. Yeah, well, maybe. not maybe not Bran. Sorry. Uh, no, maybe Bran, that's... he loves his tree. Yeah, he, he loves. Also probably loves can't have sex. Tree. No, that's ableist. No. He can have sex. People who are paralyzed. Don't be ableist, sex. Dave. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't I don't know from the way he's been moving. I don't know where he's paralyzed. Okay, look, we just. We, he we can work into Hodor. We know Hodor's Beckett. Oh, yeah, that's a oh, good point. Shit. That brings up a whole bunch of interesting questions about consent. Anyway, <laughs> skipping on from that as fast as humanly possible, Davo shows up uh, at the worst time uh, to ask for help because he doesn't know how things have uh, previously gone in the episode. Uh, John basically says no, Melisandre shows up, and then the show begins their parade of lies by telling us that Benjen is back after showing it on the previously on. This is the ultimate troll job of the show. Such a good troll. So good. It's really funny when you think about it. I bow down. And now I suspect that that day early leak is all part of it. Ugh. To get me all hyped. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good job. Good job, HBO. So that, you know, gives us a little bit of hope that they do know what they're doing and trying to play with us. Or at least... 
uh, are going to put as much as they can behind playing with us for a whole season till, or until the next book comes out, or until Comic-Con, apparently. Anyway, it's not mm, Benjamin, it's maybe. the traitor side. And then Ollie successfully becomes the first person to kill two beloved characters, actually with his own hands, on Game of Thrones. That's true. I, uh, um, I, I will say this about um, the adaptation of the Jon Snow death. One, the foreshadowing was just horrendous all season. Like I joked at the end, I was like, there's like a picture of like John looking up at Ollie with all the guys around him. It's like, oh yeah, hey John, you're the only one who didn't didn't see this coming. (laughs) Um, But I also think that it's interesting that the show decided to take the decision because in the books, it's John's decision to leave the Night's Watch that is the break. Yeah, yeah. And in the show, it's just these dudes decide that John needs to go. Like it, it makes it less honorable for Alistair and Ollie and these mutineers. Like you understand in the books, like why they killed John. Cause he's about to just abandon them in their yeah. time of need for his family. And it goes against all their vows. And you're just like, it's so for me, it felt like a betrayal of Sir Alistair, who is a kind of a character I like because he's beholden very tightly to the Night's Watch vows. What's crazy to me, you know, Alan Seppenwall in his review like his interpretation is that they don't really know or believe what happened at Hardome, but I just I don't know how they could not know and believe. It's not just that like John came back and just told Sam and no one else knows. Like he came back with a bunch of rangers as as well as the wildlings, and they all had the same story. So you know, and in the books, like Hardhome is just a rumor. It's not a thing that has happened to people who are there. Mm-hmm. So that speaks even more poorly of Alistair Thorne and Ollie, etc. When you've got a group that comes back and is like, "This crazy shit just happened. I did something super magic with my sword," and they're like, "Cool, you got to go." And they kill him. Right. Like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> it's, life. <laughs> it's funny because at the end of the episode, my roommate and I, who are big Alistair Thorne fans, because we love Owen Teal and his accent, um, we were like, "Okay, I mean, fuck Ollie anyway. Like that guy, we were fine with him doing the stabbing because we don't like that little shit anyway. Yeah. But for them to do this to Thorne as a character actually felt like a big betrayal because it's like. Dude, that's not why he kills Jon Snow. They don't just kill him because they think he's, because he let the wildlings through. They kill him because he's about to be a deserter. And that's the price for, that you pay when you desert. So, I don't know. It was frustrating. It made it look like everybody was kind of afraid of Sam. Like, Sam's here. Don't, don't, don't don't mess with John. Also, where's Ed? Where's Ed? Where's Ghost? Where's John's freaking sword? I was glad that Ed wasn't there. But uh, where's Ed? Where's Ghost? Where's Davos? Where's Melisandre? I want the it's first. More I want the first uh, scene of. <laughs> I've said this like nine times in the podcast now. But the first scene of season six, episode one, is Davos and Melisandre and Ed and Ghost playing like pinochle in a in a room somewhere <laughs> in Castle. At Black. the top of the wall. And they yeah. Just didn't know that was happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the most frustrating part is like in the inside of the episode, the showrunners were just like, well, you know, Jon Snow's problem's always been that he's so heroic that he's not cautious. And I'm like, first of all, not entirely true. Second of all, like, so you're telling me that he's so heroically not cautious that he decides to run out of his office um, and jump into a, you know, prayer circle with these dudes who have been hating on him for like four episodes now. 
and he didn't bring his sword and he didn't bring his giant direwolf. Come on. Like, and like, really? but even if, even if he didn't bring ghost ghost would have like jumped on them at their throats at the first sign right. of like pain. The direwolves from are really good at this stuff. That is what direwolves are there for. No, everyone cares about Sam. I'm telling you, Sam was like the, the iron fist of the wall. We never knew it. <laughs> Or maybe it was Gilly. Maybe Gilly was the real power. Oh, I like that too. Or Little Sam. <laughs> yeah, Little Sam. L- little Sam's been warging all along. <laughs> Wait, Nobody's which which, uh, which Little Sam? Oh, which Little Sam? Hodor. <laughs> There's two Little Sams now. Uh, <laughs> There's Baby Sam and Little Sam. I think we need to make sure. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I'm interested to see what happens to one of those things. Um, all right. I think we, we jumped around. but I think uh, we got it all. I think we yeah. got it all. We really did. We've been debating, listeners, um, doing a season-wide rewatch and rejoining you guys later uh, for some uh, fan theories and overall seasoned uh, thoughts. We haven't really scheduled that yet, and we're also thinking about maybe doing t-shirts again. We also haven't really figured that out yet either. So as a way of kicking off our goodbyes for Season 5, please continue to check back at fightinginthewarroom.com slash gotspoilers for updates and at some point in between here and Season 6, a whole new podcast with hopefully more information. But until then, where can we find more of you fantastic people online? Let's start with Neil. Uh, you can find me at filmschoolrejects.com where I will continue writing about Game of Thrones until people stop reading it, which is never. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at rejects. You can also get a lot of updates on all of the stuff Dave just mentioned uh, at Storm of Spoilers. We'll, uh, we'll be sure to post it on Twitter. Yeah, I think I think following our Twitter account is one of the best ways to, to keep up with us uh, in terms of developments in the show. I also had the idea we might I haven't told the guys this yet. I had the idea that we might sort of sporadically do episodes to cover, you know, like casting news that comes out or behind the scenes photos. I mean, we're going to have to do it when the winds of winter comes down a couple months anyway. (laughs) We can continue our Citadel crazy. So, I mean, we're all, we're all pretty busy. So we'll see what happens, but, but that's, that's the dream. Um, also today on Twitter, people were really kind and indulged in my, like, who's your under the radar actor that you really want to see on Game of Thrones. And I will just say that my favorite answer that I got from a couple people was, uh, an actor named Philip Glenister, who was on the the British show Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, and um, he's amazing. And now I want him for Randall Tarley. So that's that's my dream casting that I co-sign. But if you follow us on the Storm of Spoilers, I might occasionally throw out Twitter diversions like that, or you can read my stuff on VanityFair.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. And I'm Dave Gonzalez on Twitter at DA7E at geek.com, Forbes.com, Latino-Review.com, and podcasting at FightingInTheWarRoom.com. And this has been Season 5 of uh, Game of Thrones, and now our watch has ended. All liars here. Girl lies. Liar! Liar! And every one of us is better than you. This is my home, and you can't frighten me. Get out, you hateful bitch! Get out! Get out! Not another word. You're born not to trust me. Shadow. It's a face. 
am the king. I am the queen. I am the queen. This is the right time, and I will risk everything. The night is dark and full of terror. Sir Illip, bring me his head. Serve the gods, and the gods demand justice. Oh, kill them all, every one of them. Kill him! Kill all of them, I command it! The realm, the realm, everything, someone must. The Iron Throne is mine. I'm going to break the wheel. Burn them all. What is dead may never die! Before you die.